So, uh, whenever I found out about the chance to preach this mission, I asked, how long do I speak every night? And they said, as long as you want, which was not a good idea. Um, I didn't believe that, so I didn't do, because if I, as long as I want, you know, we would have been here till midnight, so that would not have been good. Tonight I may speak a little longer than the average homily, because making up for last time. Um, I promise it won't go more than an hour. So, the, everything is wrapped up, I, I love how you plan things here in this parish very beautifully. So we wrap up on the Feast of St. Simon and Jude, um, and they give us a great lesson. Just to look back, Monday was more or less Jesus, it is a simple truth that we build everything on. Jesus Christ, true God and true man, body and soul is present in the Eucharist. So in the Eucharistic form we adore in the Adoration Chapel, but in the heavy, deep presence is in the Mass because this is where he comes. He comes to us and reminds us how little we deserve it. In the Adoration Chapel you can sort of forget that he's not just um, supposed to be there. Some people get mad when the Adoration Chapel is locked in other parishes. Yours is always open. but. Um, as if they had a right to Jesus. Some people are mad when the priest, uh, you know, gets sick and cannot celebrate the morning mass because they have the, now you do have a right to Jesus sort of, but not like that, he's not your puppy dog. It's not like, well, man, I, I'm here at 6.30, he should be here. He's not a domesticated beast. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. So in the mass, we get much more sense of reverence like, it doesn't have to happen, and it does happen, and I am grateful every time that Jesus comes. There is the danger of having an adoration chapel or having Jesus in the tabernacle, and that's why in the Orthodox Church, they do not know that devotion. They don't keep Jesus locked up in a tabernacle. You could say it's because they haven't pushed hard enough on that truth that he's there, and he wants to be with us, so how far can we keep him among us? They consecrate hosts and distribute them to the sick, and latest, a week later, they're consumed, and then they'll do it again. So they have a drawer above the, you know, where we have a tabernacle, there's just a drawer for a few hosts that will be distributed immediately. And it is, it was the purpose of Vatican II to draw attention to this great fact. Yes, it's the Eucharistic mystery, it's the celebration, it's when Jesus comes down among us, that, is the source of everything. So it's beautiful we end with the Mass. Tuesday was more Jesus is true man, and with the same kind of reverence, we should tremble when we think God is among us. We should tremble when, as Vatican II says, we realize Jesus, through his way of being, when he came to earth, the way he came to earth, the incarnation, coming as a, an embryo, and then as a baby, and then as a child, and going through the painful process of growing up and being ignored and not noticed. He did all that so we would know what being a human being really is about. The way he did it is a model for us how we too should live our human existence. So pushing that hard through the meditation of the church, showing the crucifix with a bloody corpse, it was about a thousand years before Jesus was the first few centuries, Jesus was not shown on the cross. 
they believed he had been crucified, but it was so horrendous to think, wow, he went that far, and there's children in the room, so let's not show that. St. Francis, who was very childlike, said, of course we have to show that. We're going to show the baby at Christmas. We're going to rub people's faces in it that this is what the Lord did. He was this big. He submitted himself in a real way to the limitations of our human nature. And it was also St. Francis who loved showing Jesus crucified. In fact, he had the stigmata. He bore the marks of the crucifixion in himself. He adored Christ in his humanity and his divinity. So we can be thankful tonight for the gifts of all those men and women who over the years meditated and drew strength from the Eucharist and slowly, slowly built up the patrimony that we have the beautiful tabernacles, adoration chapels, the songs we sing in honor of the Eucharist. That was not obvious, but it's all built on one thing. Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And yesterday, um, it was more about how we pray. There's an immature way which is coming to Jesus and we have needs and asking him because we trust him. Once we realize it's true God and true man, of course I'll come to Jesus and ask him for help. We are children in front of the Lord, so that's not a bad thing. But we're also, he would love us to grow to be adults in front of the Lord, who don't just pray for ourselves and the needs that we think are important, but ask him, what is he praying about? I don't know if you realize, but Jesus prayed. And in the Eucharist, he is constantly in communion with his Father, and what he shares with us is what he's speaking to the Father about. So he's modeling prayer. And when we come to the Adoration Chapel or to the Mass, we should realize Jesus is, is speaking to his Father, his Dad. The whole structure of the Catholic Mass is built around that. It's almost as if the Church has learned how to pray from Jesus. I think I realized, it was like my last year in high school, that actually all the prayers of the Mass are not directed to Jesus, but to the Father. See, it's like we're watching him in the tabernacle, we're sort of learning the moves, and we're trying to pray like little kids, imitating my parents do this, so I do this, they make this thing, they touch four places, and more or less I do too. That's why it's important for parents to model it well. I've seen people do a very sloppy sign of the cross. It looks like they're brushing away a few flies. And so the kids, that's what they learn, we're brushing away flies. No, we're not. But anyways, children learn by watching the models they have. We are children, yes, and if we go to the Eucharist, we should learn how to pray because he's doing it all the time. And the Catholic liturgy is a prayer to the Father. Why? Because we learn from the Master. Jesus talks to the Father, and that's what the Catholic liturgy does. It talks to the Father. Very rarely do we speak directly to Christ. There's one moment I love. So, you, But anyways, you have the consecration. Ramping up to that is the preface. And what do we say? The Lord be with you. See, it's like the Lord. And which Lord is it? Um, the Father. It's Jesus, but it's the Father. It's the Spirit. It's the triune God, but probably the Father. So the, the priest says, the Lord be with you. And you say, and with you too. You're going to need it, uh, which is true. I mean, now it's, this is the moment, the altar Christus thing where, yeah, 
you don't have to be on your best form. It's just like, this is it. So good luck. Um, lift up our hearts. Let's lift up to heaven. This is what we're trying to do. Realize this is heaven breaking to earth. So lift up your hearts. And then you all say and promise, and I hope you know what you're saying. Yes, of course we do. Father, stop it. We lift them up to the Lord. It's almost a little bit, you know, edgy what you're saying to the priest, but it's okay. The priest says, lift up your hearts, please. Don't miss what's about to take place. Do you realize we're going to sing the same song that the angels and saints in heaven sing? And you say, got that. Of course we lift them up to the Lord. What are you, stupid? And I don't take offense. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Whom do we learn that from? Jesus. Yesterday, we looked at the prayers we have from the Bible, the prayers we know Jesus said, the long one at the Last Supper, and they are all thanking the Father. Implicitly, but pretty explicitly too. Thank you, Father, for revealing this to the little ones. I thank you, Father, for having sent me. Thank you. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Why? Because we learned it from Jesus. He's thanking the Father all the time. And then in the preface, every preface has a basic structure. It is truly right and just. It's right because what else would you do? It's just. God deserves it. Our duty, our duty. We, we saw Christ in the tabernacle. We see him in the Mass. It's my duty. How could I not, how can I unsee it? People always talk about, I can't unsee that. And typically, because we're broken human beings, it's all the negative garbage. Oh, I can't unsee that. Now I'm wounded for life. Why can't we uns not unsee the beautiful, powerful graces that we've experienced, the blessings that God pours into our lives? I've never heard anybody actually say, oh, I can't unsee that. It was just so overwhelming. How can I not be a saint? Oh, I tried to forget it because then I could be mean and selfish and vain and prideful again. But I cannot unsee that. That would be Catholic. And that's what we're doing. It's like, lift up your hearts. And you say, I'm lifting up so I cannot unsee what's happening here. And the whole week, I'll have no excuse to be a miserable sinner. It's our duty and our salvation. Because salvation, we have to open our hearts and accept the grace of God to give thanks here and at all times. Every preface starts that way. Then it indicates we should be thankful for one thing in particular, and says, so, with dominions and thrones and seraphim and cherubim, all those figures in heaven and all the saints and angels, we can't list them all, it's too long a list, but basically everybody, let us sing in awe with the angels and saints, holy, 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 the song from Isaiah, the song from Revelation, the song of heaven. We sing a holy song there. And we don't die of fear and trembling. Quite amazing. And then it goes into the Eucharistic prayer. And after Christ is present, every Eucharistic prayer is basically structured the same way. We give thanks again for Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, ascension. And we ask him for his help for us, for our brothers and sisters, first for the church. So for the Pope, the bishops, the priests, the whole church, because this is the church that he loves. And we're listening to the echoes of his heart. What is, it's as if, now that he's on the altar, it's like the priest is the microphone telling you what he is saying. 
The priest, Elder Christus, is praying for all the things that Jesus would pray for if we could hear him, because he is praying for those things. He loves his church, and he loves the world. That's why we pray for the world. And he loves the people who are broken and far from the church, in the third Eucharistic prayer especially, for those who are still scattered throughout the world. We pray for those children. Why? Because Jesus seemed to have done it. In the Bible, he did it, and in the Eucharist, he certainly does it. He did not stay here, and Pope Francis said this often, for the perfect. Because then I would honestly ask you, we, who could go to adoration? Who would dare? On one day, Jesus was pretty annoyed with the Pharisees who were at it again, trying to take him down. They thought life is about ripping people apart and taking him down. So they said, this woman here, should we stone her? And he said, go right ahead. All of you who have no sin, go for it. Because you're obviously in the position to judge objectively, so go for it, you perfect being you. Jesus is there for the broken and the sinners, and that's why we dare to come to Mass. If you think you're perfect, you, shouldn't, you don't need Mass, actually. You don't need Jesus, because he's God, but if you've taken his place, what are you doing here? There's going to be competition. And you, you will lose, by the way. It's better to stay far away. If you're already so perfect, you don't need the Mass. You don't need God. Congratulations. You have the solution to every problem in the church and in the world. Why do you pray for them? Are you praying that people listen to you? Or that they turn their hearts to God and as you have learned from him to be gentle and humble and meek of heart. So we pray for everything that Jesus is praying for. He's on the altar and he is intensely talking to the Father saying, Father, pour out your grace on these people. And we invoke the angels and the saints, and again it comes to, through him, the priest holds up, through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Father. It's Christ's words. He's saying, through him, everything, people, everything is here. And you daringly say, so be it. Amen. That's called the great amen. And actually the priest should not say it, because he's inviting you to give your answer. Do you agree that Jesus is the source and the summit of your life? Do you agree that through him, with him, and in him, the Father receives the glory and he's the only one who should get it? Which implies you could back right off and stop your little vanity games. That amen is a very powerful witness and you should consider well if you want to say it. Because at the end of Mass, you'll be invited to continue saying it with your life that people who watch what you say and what you do and how you think and how you act will say, they know Jesus. Because they talk like Jesus, they think like Jesus, they suffer like Jesus for the same reasons. They've learned from the Eucharist to have a Eucharistic heart. We dare to say the words of the Savior, our Father, and there's one point, this is what I like, where you actually talk to Jesus himself. I always look at him on the altar. It's, Lord Jesus, you said to your apostles, you said give him peace. So could you give us that peace? Because you promised them, and we need it. So I always look at him in the eye, because it's like, it's the only time you talk to Jesus in the Mass, basically. 
The rest is you're talking with Jesus to the Father and Jesus speaking through you to the Father. And somehow in this moment, we're wrapped up in this communication between God the Father, God the Son, and deeply in the Holy Spirit. How good is that? And then we receive him into ourselves. And after communion, we give thanks. That's why it's called giving thanks there. And we pray with whatever words God puts on our heart. It's powerful. In the Mass, we are actually sort of, we've learned from Jesus, and we're speaking words that Jesus would say. And we're learning, it's a school of prayer, we're learning how we should even pray and what's important, what's not important, and how to do it well. And that's why it's adoration, praise, thanksgiving, intercession, um, petition, and then praise again. And always thanks. Simon and Jude, very important, because I love those guys. They're at the end of the list. The only one after them is Judas the Iscariot, who became a traitor. Like, okay, so I beat him. That's pretty good. <laughs> I remember at school, I was never good at athletics, and I was typically the one who was chosen last or second last. And you know, so it's a good day when you're chosen second last. It's like, yay. So that's them. They're like, not at the end of the list, because who's at the end? Oh boy, yeah, Judas the traitor, okay. I guess that's good. Bottom, your altar here is a very Eucharistic altar. On the back, we have the lamb with the cross, the lamb who was slain, so the priests get to see that. What you are seeing is Jesus with his 12 apostles. Now, you probably only see six of them, because there are only six in the front. There's three on the sides. Now, I'm not sure what the artist was thinking. Judas is not one of them, so I guess it's Matthias here at the end. Or maybe Matthias got bumped up to the top. I don't know where he is. I couldn't identify them. I looked this morning. Um, but they're there. All I know is St. Jude and St. Simon are there together because they died together. So maybe they're both on this side or on the other side at the end, of course. Or maybe they just are the wingmen. Like they're basically this one here and that one here. So I found St. Jude, I don't know why, he's in, my, he's in the confessional in the back. Welcome, St. Jude, you get to come out on your feast day. This is him, uh, patron of impossible cases. St. Jude has the name, which is the same as Judas, only in English do we change it. So there's Judas and Judas. And to distinguish, first of all, in English, we're very proper, so we know our prayers go to the right place. We said, St. Jude, uh, you. For 1,850 years, nobody prayed to St. Jude. So Peter's getting all kinds of intentions, you know, and Andrew and John are doing pretty well. And Jude, like 1850 years, he was doing nothing. It was about 1850 that in France and Germany, people started to pray for to him. And what did they pray for? <laughs> all the impossible stuff. Because they figured, he's not that busy, so he'll have more time <laughs> to pay personal attention to my problems. So go Jude. I'm going to give you something to do. You want work? I have work for you. So this is sort of a joke, but it's actually true. It's like, what else are we going to ask him for? Well, all the impossible stuff that the others don't seem to have time for. So he's, his name was changed by us. How nice is that? You know, his mother called him Judas, and now he's called Jude by us. That's pretty embarrassing. And he's the patron of impossible cases, you know, terminal illness because nobody else wanted that. It was like Peter said, no, nah, you take that, you. <laughs> yeah, that's it, and he's at the bottom of the list. 
Then there's Simon. Jude has the benefit. We have one quote from him in John 14. He asked, Lord, why are you even showing yourself to us and not to the others? And the Lord says something mysterious. He says, anyone who loves me will see me. Basically saying, just be happy. You love me, you see me. The others, when they begin to love me, will see me everywhere as well. And I'm gonna stay in the Eucharist, Jude, so relax. So that everybody's gonna love me soon, because I'm so present, it'd be hard not to love me and my father. It's a great plan. And Jude says, thank you, and disappears. We don't know anything else about him, that's it. And even there it says, uh, Judas, not the Iscariot. <laughs> <laughs> So his name is Judas, not the other Judas. I'm this Judas, not that one. It must be awkward in heaven. Hello, who are you? I'm Judas, not that other. I'm <laughs> very poor man. I feel sorry for him, but he has a good job. He takes care. So my personal devotion, I always go to him because I know his desk is empty. So I go to Jude, and if he thinks it's for James or John, he has time. He'll bring it over to their desk. It's fine. I, I just, my personal devotion, I always go to St. Jude. I love this guy. And I don't just go for the impossible stuff, although most of my things are. Um, I just go to him because his office, you know, the line is short. Yeah. He only has 150 years track record, you know, and Catholics need a long time to get into something. So like, you know, you're from Louisiana. I, I will never be Louisianan. You will not accept me within 150 years. I will be dead by then. So we have this long memory. Jude is just starting to get a little traction. I have never had a problem with Jude. The other saints, sometimes they're busy. He is always open. Simon has, they say that Simon, Jude, and James the Lesser apparently were brothers and cousins of the Lord. Interesting, it's an old tradition and it seems grounded in reality, which is nice. So he was a cousin of our Lord and everybody forgot about him. Simon said nothing that was recorded in the Gospels. Their names, Simon, it's mistranslated often, the zealot, probably it just means zealous. Peter had the nickname the rock. Saul had the nickname Paul, which means the small one, the humble one. They say St. Paul was about four foot six and bald, which I find excellent. <laughs> I was, was offended in Rome that they would give him big bushy hair, like, why are you doing that? You're faking it. He was bald and he had crooked legs, apparently, and was four foot six. Yay, Paul. That's why he was called Paul. It was not a nice nickname, it was like small guy or junior. Simon has the nickname among the crowd of the zealous one, the religious one. He loved the law of Moses. So all we know about him is that in the group of 12, he was considered the guy who was really zealous. He would get it done. And St. Jude, Thaddeus, means um, strong-hearted one. There are various interpretations, but that was his nickname. He was the stout-hearted, strong-hearted apostle. So these two workhorses um, became martyrs in Beirut and um, that's it. See, maybe because he was zealous for the law of the Lord, and maybe because Jude was stout-hearted, they did not need to be number one in the list. Because it, for them it was enough that they knew the Lord, and the Lord knew them, and they learned to pray from the Lord and love the Father, and were zealous for his name, and died a happy death as martyrs. 
so happy they could die the way their Lord did. That's all the glory they needed. This is a beautiful feast day. We know nothing about these two pillars of the church. They're at the, you know, they're at the end of your altar. Nobody ever gets to look at them. And they're totally fine with that. You know why? Because who's in the center? The Lord. And that's what they gave their life for. That's what they lived for. That's what they desired with all their hearts, that everybody could see the Lord as they had seen him. So the altar is working. You see the Lord in the mass. Jesus is in front of the altar. What else do they want? Nothing. They're totally happy to be where the Lord placed them. So at the end of this mission, let's ask God for that grace to really be Eucharistic, to pray like Jesus prayed. And if you don't know, go to the Eucharist. To live like Jesus lived. If you don't know how that goes, receive the Eucharist, receive his strength, and go do whatever he tells you. But let's ask the grace, maybe especially, to be good stones in the edifice of the church, to go wherever God sends us, to do whatever he tells us, to be happy to disappear. I warned you it would be long. I have one more idea that I must say, sorry. I think it was supposed to be said two days ago, but it's important. Father Stan Fortuna was like a rapper priest from the Franciscans of the Renewal, and uh, I liked his music. So he has one song called F-A-M-I-L-Y. F-A-M-I-L-Y. Family. But he writes the title like in capital letters and with a period after every letter. And he says, when he's rapping, family is correctly named. Forget about me, I love you. That is my wish for all of us here in this parish community, that that would be our extremely Eucharistic, Christian, normal baseline attitude. I don't want to be run over. I don't want to be taken advantage of, but I can do no other than what my Lord did. And his life and his death and his resurrection and his presence in the Eucharist say to me, forget about me, I love you. And if every family in this parish would be that little domestic church where that is the rule you have on your wall. I don't know where you people shop, you know, you have all these signs like blessed and God is great, or eat a lot of food, or something, you know, or giggle and laugh. I was in a room the other day and had like some very wise things like forgive quickly and things that was giggle and laugh, drink a glass of wine. I'm saying, what is this? This is like mixing stuff here. It wasn't all Bible texts. It was very Louisiana though. Eat a lot of crawfish. I was like, wait a minute. Forgiveness and crawfish are not, but then the host told me, yes, they are. <laughs> But I'd wish that on your walls, you would have somewhere one of those cool little signs etched in wood, you know, that you get at uh, Michael's if you're high-end or the other place if you're, you know, or you made it yourself. And you could have like F period, A period, M period, I period, L period, Y period. So that nobody could say they didn't know the basic rules of the house. Forget about your chore schedule. Forget about your motivational text near the phones. Forget about what you have hanging on your fridge. 
forget about me, I love you, is the baseline for every beautiful family. So I wish that for all of you, that you live that beautiful Eucharistic spirit today, tomorrow, and always.